Voice of Fintech. Welcome to Voice of Fintech, a podcast mapping out the Swiss and global fintech scene, connecting fintech enthusiasts with startups, incubators, accelerators, business angels and VCs, and incumbents interested in partnerships. Voice of Fintech will help you navigate the fintech ecosystem. Here you can listen to the startup founder stories, what investors and incumbents are looking for when dealing with startups, and find out more about resources provided by incubators and accelerators. My name is Rudy Fallad and I'll be hosting this podcast. Hello and welcome to Voice of Fintech. Today we're going to talk to Drew and we're going to talk about fiat growth and fiat ventures. We'll find out about growth investing, what's new in the Bay Area, how VC investors look at your proposals if you're founders, how they looking to help you when you grow. How are you today? I'm, I'm doing really well. Thanks for having me. Brilliant. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Can you introduce yourself and tell us how you got here where you are today? Yes, thanks again for having me. My name is Drew Glover. I am founding partner at Fiat Growth and general partner at Fiat Ventures. I've been really in tech since graduating college, and it's been like a really interesting path to how I got to Fiat Growth. I started out in sales, was in marketing, was in design, did a number of different things really on the business development side, but also digging in from an operator first mentality of a lot of the strategy that I was doing early in my career. I also had to execute on. So my career kept moving on. I kind of found myself doing really well financially, but at the same time, looking to make a greater impact in terms of what my role was in the world. And I found myself landing at a company called Steady, which is based out of Atlanta, helps folks in the 1099 world or the part-time work world improve their financial health. And I was basically overseeing all things growth from paid to business development partnerships to helping them build out their consumer-facing marketplace. And I got to reconnect with a close buddy of mine. I went to UC Berkeley. And at the time, when I was at UC Berkeley, I played football there. And one of the equipment managers there was an individual named Alex Harris that I became really close friends with at Cal. And so fast forward to where I was when I was at Steady, he was head of growth and partnerships at a company called Chime, which is one of the largest neobanks, fully digital neobanks in the world today. And so sure. we found ourselves kind of collaborating in a number of different ways. And we started co-advising a number of companies together. And that number started at two, grew to five, grew to 10. And ultimately, it got to a place where we looked at each other and said, hey, we're not seeing any growth consultancies focusing exclusively on fintech and fintech funnels and the scaling, the proper equitable scaling of fintech tech companies. So we looked at each other and we quit our day jobs and we founded what is now one of the leading growth marketing consultancies for fintech exclusively in the country, which is Fiat Growth. Right. And you're also active in Fiat Ventures. So can you describe Fiat Growth and Fiat Ventures in a little bit more detail? What do they do and what's your mission? And maybe also the name. I'd like to know what is behind Fiat, whether that's Fiat Money or Fiat the Car Company or neither. Yeah. So... Alex and myself, when we founded Fiat Growth, we had a ton of really incredible investors. And one of those investors was a VC. And as we were figuring out what our business model was, we knew that we wanted to get paid via flat retainer instead of getting paid with a, by a percentage of growth spin, because we really wanted to align our incentives around how companies scale. So 
One of the ways we got paid was just a flat retainer. The other one is we asked for equity within the businesses we worked with because we really wanted to align incentives and be around for the long term. And then that advisor of, of ours um, was a VC and he said, listen, you should ask for the right to invest. He was like, regardless of if you have the money today or if you have the money tomorrow, these companies are going to scale. You're going to make it so they can grow because you're handling all their marketing efforts. And at one point, you might want to invest in them. Basically, we asked for that retainer, we asked for equity, and then we also asked for the right to invest in their next funding round. So over time, as we scaled up within Fiat Growth, we started building a team. So three employees turned into 25 over the span of around two and a half years. We basically scaled up during the pandemic. So we're a fully remote company. And we work with anywhere between 30 and 40 companies at any given time. And that's very much in the broad sense. So FinTech melds into all these other industries. You might see it in e-commerce. You might see it in rewards. You might see it in crypto and Web3. But so we work with FinTech in the broad sense, all the way down to InsureTech and um, InsureTech and even PropTech. But in early 2021, we decided, hey, let's start taking advantage of, of these rights to invest that we have. So we were lucky enough to bring on a longtime friend of mine, Marcos Fernandez, who was previously at SoFi. He was at Ripple, the crypto company. And when I was chatting with him, I said, what do you want to do next in your career? And he said, I want to be, I'd love to have my own venture fund. And I said, this is incredible. We have all these rights to invest. At the time, we had around 45 different companies that we had, we had gotten the right to invest in. I said, so you should come help us found Fiat Ventures, which is an extension of Fiat Growth. And so he came on. We raised a $15 million venture fund in a little less than 12 months. And the beautiful thing was, if you take a step back, Fiat Growth is this incredible growth consultancy, but it also doubles as one of the best due diligence arms in the business because we get to work hands-on with all of our clients on all things growth. So we know their founders, their strategy, the product, is it innovative, is it not innovative? Are they built for sustainable future within this fintech landscape? And we get to see all these things prior to us choosing if we want to take advantage of our right to invest. So Fiat Growth, consultancy, due diligence arm, Fiat Ventures, we almost exclusively invest in our clients that we've worked with for a minimum of three to six months. And so what about Fiat? Are they investors in you? Or Fiat, the car company, and Fiat, Fiat Growth and Fiat Ventures, the business, are completely separate. Funny story is Alex and myself, when we were just getting Fiat Growth off the ground, we were thinking about a million different names. And we had this double meaning from Fiat because... Fiat Lux is actually the, the UC Berkeley slogan. So Fiat means let there be. And Cal's slogan is let there be light. And Fiat in Latin means let there be. So our whole thing was this be Fiat growth, which in Latin means let there be growth. And, uh, and then the other meaning of fiat is, is actually like physical money. Little did we know that, that fiat, the physical money word itself, would become like a, the antithesis of the crypto world. But we actually find it funny because we actually do a lot of work in the crypto and Web3 space. And uh, we just say, listen, like money is money at the end of the day. But we have actually gotten leads on our website of people saying, hey, like my car is out of warranty. And we're like, we are not the car company. Let, me, <laughs> let us reassure you. <laughs> I see. And uh, the crypto people still talk to you. That's great as well, which reminded me also one line from Seinfeld, the TV show where Jerry meets yeah. his financial advisor and asks him, how is my money? And he says, still green. <laughs> what do you want? <laughs> it depends where you are, but of course, in the US, it's still green. All right. Now, so where are you today? You said you were founded and you scaled up during the pandemic. So 
where are you today? How many employees you've got? And how much money have you put together? You said you started with 15 million. Where are you now in 2022? Yeah, so I'm based out here in the Bay Area. I was born and raised in Oakland. I'm calling you today from San Francisco, California. And yeah, we have this really interesting story where we basically scaled up during the pandemic. At the beginning of the pandemic, we were three employees. And, um, you know, Alex and myself, we had really thought about building this really well curated list of clients. And we just started realizing the amount of incredible businesses that were out there. And we brought on a managing partner for Fiat Growth. We brought on Marcos for Fiat Ventures. And we just started slowly scaling up over time. So Fiat Growth has 25 employees today. Businesses split down the middle for partnerships. So affiliate partnerships, strategic partnerships, influencer marketing. Other side of the business is performance. So call that MarTech stack, funnel optimization, all the way down to managing every imaginable paid channel. And uh, and then, yeah, from there, we have the, we've never raised money for fiat growth. That's something that's really grown organically. So yeah, those 25 employees are all full-time and we're like a really close-knit family. And they're everywhere from Portland to New York to Connecticut to LA. The great thing is we cover all the different time zones. So like wherever we are, like we can always engage with our clients and have this really great way of working where everyone just kind of knows their role and knows their responsibility. And like we show up for each other. And then on the venture side, yeah, we've raised a $15 million fund. That's our fund number one. Like our goal is to have fund three, four, five, six, and seven. Now that we've just completed that first fund, we're really going to lean into to raising that second fund pretty soon here. And the first fund is really focused on fintech. That's where we come from. And, the, and I think as we get subsequent funds up and running, we'll probably become more generalist over time. We're seeing fintech really bleed into everything. As you think about even the most simple e-commerce company, like there's a place where you have to purchase the product, you have to spend money. We're seeing embedded finance things like buy now, pay later pop up and like all these different forms of, of fintechs being embedded into all different types of companies. So we will ultimately become generalist, but today our main focus is the financial world. Yeah, great, great. How easy or difficult was it to raise your first fund during the pandemic? Because some people said that this is a people's business. And if it's your first fund, it is even more so the people's business. So if you cannot meet them in person, how are you going to do it? But on the other hand, people were raising money during the pandemic, the M&A deals were happening as well, virtually. So how did you find that process in those unprecedented times? It was a labor of love, to say the least. We had a very unique approach. Because Fiat Growth had probably been around for a little over two and a half years prior to us starting to raise our venture fund, we had those rights to invest from day one. So our goal around raising was to basically build a list of all the companies we had the right to invest in for the previous two and a half years, and then build out a one sheet of if we had invested in those companies from the day we started working with them, this is how our portfolio would look like today. Some might call that like an anti-portfolio where you see a lot of VCs always showing the companies they didn't invest in. But we basically were telling the world, if we had the capital, we would invest. We would have invested in these clients that we are currently working with and we were working with two years ago. And it was a very compelling story. Like, I think it was somewhere between 50 and 60x. That's what that that portfolio was looking like if we had invested. Also, we had this very unique model that a lot of people, really no one saw, where we got to work with our clients 
prior to investment. And historically, in traditional VC, all these different VCs, they're going to a lunch with a founder and they're getting a really well manicured deck. And they're basically making a gut call if they want to actually invest in that company, where we get anywhere from three months to 12 months of deep engagement and relationship building and scaling up and operating with these companies prior to investment. This is something really tough to find in the in the early stage investment world. So we invest in everything from pre-seed, call it to like series A. It was really tough. Don't get us wrong. Because of the uniqueness of our model, we thought we could walk in there and be like, okay, eight months, like the market's on fire. We can raise this thing. And it took us 12 months, almost on the dot to do it. But it was incredible. We were looking at the stats a couple of weeks ago. We've had over 250 conversations and some of the biggest checks we got in those in that journey were coming from the most unlikely individuals and we all know what it's like you meet one person they say you should chat with this person you should chat with this person you should chat with this person and then all of a sudden that one person that we got introduced to after the first conversation a month prior turns out to be like this incredible value add investor that is just like fully deeply believing in your mission and what you're working to do in short it was a huge, huge lift and effort, but like the journey itself was magical and the relationships we have now and the network we have now are the ones that are going to set us up for the rest of our lives. Understood. Now, you said you invest in pre-seed to series A. How big are the checks that you are ready to write at the moment? Again, $15 million fund. We don't really think about it in terms of how large the check is going to be. We think about it in terms of what is the percentage of the company we want to own based on that first check. So for us, we're typically looking to own anywhere from call it one to 2% or call it a percent and a half to 2% of the company with our first check. That could be anywhere from $50,000 check to a $500,000 check, depending on like where that company is and where their valuation sits. Um, you know, I'd say five months ago, the market was very different than what it is today. So it's really interesting to see some of these micro and macro shifts in the market to see some of these valuations tightening up. But I will say in terms of how we invest, yeah, we're investing from pre-seed to series A for this fund one, we'll make around 25 investments, and then we'll save the majority of the rest of that money for follow on. So out of those 25 investments, let's say, you know, anywhere from two to eight of them, possibly 10, if we're lucky, turn into these like outright wild successes. And at that point, for their future rounds, we want to be able to add on more investment dollars so we can hold on to that percentage of ownership through later rounds as the company grows. Of course. And so what's your investment approach, our thesis? Of course, you work with these companies, you got the rights to invest, but are you pushing for observer seed, board seed? You, you do follow on, maybe one more round, but then do you want to exit the round after? How does that work? I think a little bit with the governance flavor. Yeah, fund, a $15 million fund, depending on who you're chatting with, some might call it a micro fund. So what you're able to do is really build a well-curated portfolio of companies. The way we look at it is that we want to be in this in, in the VC ecosystem for the rest of our careers. So for us, it's yes, we need to be able to lead a couple rounds, which means yes, we'll be on a couple boards, we'll get a few observer seats. But at the end of the day here, what we lean onto is being really diligent around what our superpowers are. And 
our greatest superpower still sits within fiat growth, the consultancy. And so for us to be able to properly evaluate our clients as potential investments to make it so when we bring on a client for fiat growth, we're making sure that's not just any client that's going to drive revenue for us, but it's a client we a client we see as investable, a team that we like, a product that we believe is innovative, and their roadmap is one that's built for the next 20 years of this fintech market. In terms of like our strategy, one, it's making sure that we're optimizing the evaluation process within fiat growth. We also want to really spend, we spend a lot of our time focusing on making it fintech is creating a more accessible world. Historically, a lot of fintech products were built for the top 10% of America or the top 10% of the world. The people that already had a ton of money that needed help managing that money. And this wave that we've seen within fintech as of late is let's design products for the 90% of America and the universe that need the most financial help, guidance, health to improve their financial lifestyle. So we focus a lot on consumer products, B2B products that can really help optimize this next generation of fintech, which is like around financial literacy and financial health and doing that for everyone, not just the folks that have the most money that are sitting at the top. Right. Great stuff. Now, you worked in early stage companies, you worked in growth companies, you worked with them as well from fiat growth perspective. What would be your best tips for aspiring founders to start and grow their company? Yeah, that's a great question. To start this around starting companies, I think a lot of folks right now, because because we're in this kind of like entrepreneurial golden age, we're standing up a business is so easy to do. If you wanted to start an e-commerce company, you could knit sweaters in your house and open up an Etsy shop or open up on Shopify. But I feel like a lot of founders today are just like following other founders. And they're not going through the process where historically a lot of other business creators and entrepreneurs would take, which is understand what the problem is, understand what the solution is, and then taking it a step further of really understanding who your customer is. Um, you know, for example, we see, call it 20, 20 deals a week almost at this point. And what we'll see a lot of times is someone saying, we just want to build another version of what already exists. And I'm a big believer in not having to recreate wheels here but also making sure that we're still solving a problem and we're not just trying to say there's room for the 25th version of the same product that's solving the same problem. So I would just say, hey, make sure you're truly solving a problem and really understand what problem you're solving and for what customer you're solving it for. I would also say if you're really thinking about getting into fintech, there's all these different levels of fintech. There's Web3. There's web two, there's embedded fintech, there's you're solving around like credit problems, you're solving around how to better manage people's spending of money, but there's all these opportunities. And I always think about it, especially as we spend a lot of time in web three, which is like merging the worlds of web two and web three together. Meaning, I always talk about this, talk about buy now, pay later for the NFT space. Buy now, pay later is a web two product. NFT is web three, but like the merging of that is really bringing together like the crypto native and the crypto curious. Or for example, we're seeing these massive trends around the freelancer market. The future of work is shifting and people no longer have one job for 30 years, but they bring together four different, four or five different types of work 
and they use that to create a full-time salary. And the way people are engaging with work is different. So there's huge opportunities in there. So the last thing I'll say about just as an entrepreneur, I'd be looking at these macro trends that are happening in the world. And then I focus on the one that's exciting and I'm most passionate about. And then I would really dig into what are those specific edge case problems that I can look at to help solve and make their lives better. Absolutely. All the great points. Now, you did mention macro environment, right? And unfortunately, 2022 is proving to be yet another difficult year. So where do you think we are when it comes to startup and fintech valuations, for example? Because also investors, I think, sometimes have been complaining last couple of years that the founders are expecting more and more money for their startups and a huge bubble building and now what can happen when the interest rates go up and the inflation goes up and the investors are fleeing the alternative edges of the market what do you think is the the outlook for the valuations of the portfolio companies that you might have or the more broadly any startup or fintech in in america totally i think it's a lot of the things that we all expect, I think, are going to happen here, especially when it comes to like just the venture market. I think valuations are going to get a little bit; they're going to, they're going to lower quite a bit. VCs are going to be looking at businesses based on a shorter runway to profitability versus saying, "Hey, let's just invest and back these individuals," knowing that they it might take another ten to twenty years for them to hit profitability. So I think just just like economics 101, I think there's just going to be like a more stringent evaluation process on making sure that all those boxes are checked. I don't think it's going to be as easy for, you know, just anyone with an idea to get to get funding. I, what I was seeing six months ago, a year ago, were people getting like really sizable valuations without even having a product. And really what the market was doing was investing in teams and TAM, which is the total addressable market that that product can satisfy, or that kind of marketplace or ecosystem, whatever kind of company you're building. So again, I think some of the economics 101 are just going to be, we're just going to go back to, to like making sure that good old business, like the tried and true businesses have a path to profitability. And we're not just waiting around for the first 10 years of the business and just offering a freemium product. Historically, like we, what we've seen over the last decade here is a number of different things. One being like, there's an incredible amount of white noise. I think there's two different sides here from like the entrepreneur side and the VC side. From the VC side, we see a ton of white noise or we have been historically. But we're starting to see a lot more quality deals because I think the barrier of entry of creating a business is shifting with this market. A year ago, Anyone, even anyone out of college is, screw it, we got an incredible team, let's go raise $2 million at this valuation, which I think is great in terms of like inspiration around entrepreneurship. But I also think that there should be a barrier where there's still the uncomfortable decision of, am I going to choose this as my life? Am I going to choose this as my next step in my career and building a business and starting one? In terms of the macro climate, I think, I don't think this is 2008. I think how people see the market today is based on how old they are. Like, in my lifetime, I was around for the 2008 crisis, but I wasn't. I didn't feel the impact because I was too young for the for the bubble bursting in, in in the 90s in the tech world. What I've seen is some of the most seasoned investors. They're saying, "I've seen this five times over. This is not as bad as it's been, and I don't think it will be as bad as it been as it's been." Where other folks that are a little bit younger, they experience the 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 2008 crisis. They're saying to themselves. I really hope it's not like that. So a lot of it's around perspective, but I do think we're probably in this for at the minimum the next year here. 
And we all should be evaluating everything on a bit more of a stringent basis prior to just thinking that six months ago is just going to is going to come back in vogue in the next two months. And we're going to be back to where it was just a lot, just a while. But I'd like to end or edge towards a positive note anyway. Any success stories from your portfolio? Yeah, totally. One company that we're super bullish on, we actually led their Series A round as a company called Copper. It's a bank for teens. And we're seeing this trend pop up a bit more. Companies like Greenlight pop up where it's a bank for kids, call it, call it eight years old and even earlier. But where Copper kind of sits is right in this teen world. And I think what we're starting to see in terms of like macro fintech trends is the next generation of fintech is shifting and the an individual's relationship with money is getting younger. And what we're even seeing is we're no longer seeing these stories of teenagers saying, oh, I just had a paper route when I was a kid or I sold lemonade in the front of my, in the front of my house as like the only jobs I had when I was younger. But it's shifting now where people are reselling shoes People are becoming influencers and making money. They have to pay taxes on that money. And by making money and like having access and exposure to it, as simple as your parents giving you $20 to go to the movies, this is money that you need to manage the right way. And so what Copper is, it's a bank for teens, and it's really focused around financial literacy and making it so that that relationship with the parent and the teen around money is one where you're actually growing and scaling and learning in these real-time experiences that you're having with any type of money. Again, if that's allowance, if that's $20 for the movies, if that's you making money from your Etsy store. But what Copper is really doing well is they're obviously scaling at an incredible clip and they have this super unique go-to-market strategy where they actually partner with high schools across the country and activate their students and give them the path to learning how to best engage with money and manage it from an early age. So that's a really great kind of like success story for us. And we led their series A, they're doing incredibly well. And they're, they're focusing on a market that I believe, and we believe is going to become more and more important on a year by year basis, as the relationship with money and teens continues to scale and work changes. You've done a great job in tough circumstances, right? Raising your first fund using or leveraging your unique angle, which is knowing these companies because you work with them as a fiat growth company. But how do you find them? How do you source the deals like this one, like Copper? How did you find them or similar companies? Do you do outreach? Do you, it's inbound? It's network? It has to be people in the network or do you use AI crawlers out there? How does that work? Yeah, it's, it's funny. We've been lucky enough to, to have all of our leads come through Fiat Growth, our business. And around 90% of our leads from Fiat Growth, our consultancy, actually come from other VCs. The way Fiat Growth works is we're not only this growth consultancy, but we act as an out-of-the-box growth team for a lot of early-stage companies. We basically have this incredible network of VCs that we both co-invest with, but we also partner with. And we say, hey, like when you make that investment, especially in this fintech space, don't advise your clients and your investments to go hire a super expensive three or $400,000 a year CMO, or don't go tell them to hire a five to six person growth team. Get them to hire fiat growth. We've, our team has seen hundreds, if not thousands of different fintech companies. And so we have this amount of exposure and we've seen hands on the ground of what works and what doesn't work. So what happens is a lot of these VCs say, Hey, we just invested in you. Don't invest in a growth team that you're hiring full-time. Go work with Fiat Growth. 
let them build out your foundation and your growth ecosystem. And then once they've done that, then we can go hire in-house. So the majority of our leads actually come from other VCs in the space. We partner with them on a super deep level. We give them really great insights into how their portfolio companies are doing. And we're working with them hand in hand to make sure that they're scaling up in a super equitable way. So the majority of our leads, both for Fiat Growth and Fiat Ventures, come through the Fiat Growth Consultancy organization. I see. Very interesting. Very original, I think. A great job. Before we go through... What would be the best way to reach out and what kind of people would you like to hear from most when it comes to Fiat Ventures and Fiat Growth? Yeah, a number of different folks. Obviously, any entrepreneurs out there that have a really great idea within fintech or any industry at that, feel free to reach out to me. I can both put on my Fiat Growth hat or my Fiat Ventures hat, depending on kind of what your specific need is. But always make time to just chat with folks with ideas and just really smart folks that are just super curious. The other one is we always like to partner with other VCs in the space. So if there's any VCs out there, let's jump on. We have a fairly unique model and we always love co-investing and finding ways to partner together. And then outside of that, we just have a unique model in general. Fiat Growth, the consultancy doubles as that due diligence arm. Fiat Ventures, our venture fund. If you're just at all curious about our model, always happy to chat. Best place to reach me is on LinkedIn. It's just Drew Glover. You'll probably see me pop up and always responding to any messages that come in and always making the time and throwing my Calendly link out there when we connect. Always happy to do it, but also check out fiatgrowth.com. A lot of really great knowledge on there, all of our clients, a lot of the folks that we lean into and fiat.vc is our venture fund website as well. But they're two separate entities, but very much sister brother companies. Super excited to connect with anyone that's interested in learning more. Brilliant. So thank you so much and good luck to you, Drew and Fiat Growth and Ventures. I really appreciate the time and thanks for reaching out. Thank you for listening to Voice of Fintech podcast. If you haven't already, check out also voiceoffintech.com where you will find all the episodes and additional resources related to the podcast. You can also subscribe to Voice of Fintech on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any other podcast app that you like. If you have any suggestions on the topics or guests or how to make this podcast better for you, please email us at info at Happy to hear from you. Thank you.